her skirt matches the mandala. Hi, <laughs> oh, that's wonderful, Kiki. Thank you. Thank you. So good to have you. It's always good to have you here. We appreciate you coming and sharing your talent with us. Thank you. Well, I'm Reverend Debbie McDonald. It's my joy to welcome you here this morning. So grateful that you're here. If it is your first time here, if you've never been through our doors before, please know that we have a welcome package for you, a visitor's package. So pick it up and take it with you. Check us out a little bit. It's got a CD in there about what our basic beliefs are, and Science of Mind magazine and some other things. So take it with you. Get to know us a little bit better. We'd love for you to stay after and have coffee and tea with us so we can get to spend some time with you and get to know you. So here we are, July 1st, July 1st. Can you remember when you were little how long summer was? When you were a little kid, it's like summer lasted forever, right? And I think that's because we were so in the moment as children. You know, we were watching the caterpillar, you know, turn into the butterfly. You know, spent, you spent a long time just watching that little guy move and fascinated by how the caterpillar crawled. You know, we were so, so in tune to every moment. And I think the older we get, we, we lose touch a little bit with that. And, and because of that, I think time speeds up. I don't know about your parents, but my parents were always saying, enjoy these times, enjoy these times, right? And those were the times to enjoy. But we still can. We still can. We still can enjoy our summer. It's weird having 4th of July on a Wednesday. Kind of feels funny, doesn't it? It's like in the middle of the week. So we've got this funny 4th of July weekend happening. But we're here. And we're continuing on with our July theme, since it is July 1st, with 100 years of science of mind, taking it to the street. That's our annual theme. This month's theme is revealing wholeness. So this month, all of July, we'll be talking about wholeness. And today is healing is a revelation. It's one of the uh, readings from the science of mind, living the science of mind. It's about this long. That's Ernest's whole essay for this week. It's a very short one. But it's a thing that Ernest talked a lot about. Ernest Holmes was the founder of religious science. Now we're called Centers for Spiritual Living, teaching the principles of science of mind. But we're still a science of mind church. And um, Ernest Holmes used to say, and he's, he's, you can see it throughout his writing, that there's nothing to heal, only to reveal that divine presence that is already there that there's nothing to heal, right? And, and you might say, well, Reverend Debbie, I'm not so sure about that. You know, there's stuff. I mean, look at the world. There's stuff going on, right? I mean, look at internationally. Look at our governments running amok. You know, look at my life. I have this disease or I have this pain or I have this ache. You know, my uh, husband left me. My wife left me. My lover left me. My children's addicted to drugs. What, you know, what do you mean there's nothing to heal? There's stuff going on. Right? Well, in the original Science of Mind textbook, Ernest wrote this. As a part of the divine being, man must inherently be perfect. This is a conclusion which is unavoidable, right? If we're made of God's stuff and God is perfect, we are perfect. But man does not appear to be perfect. He certainly appears to have many experiences which are far from idea. This is Ernest Holmes. There can be no question, but the human man suffers, is sick and has pain, and eventually dies. To doubt this would be to doubt the evidence of the only quality we possess, whereby we may consider ourselves conscious beings at all. So to doubt it is to doubt the very logic, the very consciousness that we've been given as humans. We must then reconcile our conclusion of perfection 
with an experience which is apparently not perfect. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we do that? How do we say we are perfect, and yet our experience sometimes doesn't seem so perfect? You know, Ernest was fond of saying, perfect God, perfect man, perfect being. Perfect God, perfect man, perfect being. Perfect God, perfect woman, perfect being. The same. Man is fundamentally perfect. This is our whole premise, according to Ernest. Perfect God, perfect man, perfect being. This is the whole basis of our argument. You know, so I like to equate it to the idea of uh, the sun is always there, right? We've got, it may be covered with clouds. It may be covered with the night sky. It may be on the other side of the planet. We may have turned on our axis so we can no longer see it. But that doesn't mean that the sun isn't there. It's still there. It's just underneath that stuff, right? So, and that is the same of... Um, God, you know, or this divine perfection idea, that it is always there, deep down within each of us, there's nothing that can put out that light, but it can be covered up with stuff. It can be covered up with our false ideas, our old beliefs, it can be covered up with other things. In the original Science of Mind textbook, again, Ernest says, healing is accomplished by uncovering, neutralizing, and erasing false images of thought, and letting the perfect idea or idea reflect itself through subjective mind into the body. Right? So by changing our thinking, we change our life. Right? So nothing to heal means that it's already there. It's already there. Our job is just to uncover it to reveal it, the revelation, to reveal what is already there. Ernest, in, in, in today's reading, he talks about if there was a diamond ring in a chest covered with rubbish, you would take any means possible to uncover the rubbish so you could get to the diamond ring, right? He says it's the same of spiritual mind treatment or spiritual healing, that we use whatever means we can to uncover that which is covering up the perfection within. Because the perfection is always there. The perfection is always there. Mental healing. So what really needs to be healed is our thinking. What really needs to be healed is our thinking, another basic premise of our science of mind teaching. Now, the principle universally laid down by all mental healers, in whatever various terms they may explain it, is that the basis of all healing is a change in belief. Troward. Troward. We're reading a... In Root's class, we're reading some of the different books, and one of the ones that we're reading is Troward, you know, and Troward is who Ernest got the law from, who he really came to understand the law. And this is one of Troward's um, sentences. It's the basis of all healing is a change in belief, is a change in our belief about the thing. You know, mental healing is a science, and it's the thrust of the religious science movement. It really was. I mean, healing was the thrust of our movement since its conception. You know, and I think it's maybe not so much now. We don't talk about healing as much as Ernest used to anyway. I mean, Ernest's main teaching was to heal, to heal whatever was happening in ourselves, in the world, in our planet. You know, and now it seems like we talk a lot about manifesting, and we talk a lot about abundance, and we talk a lot about creating, and we talk a lot about prayer, but sometimes we don't focus on this whole idea of mental healing, this whole idea of healing, that we can heal ourselves from anything that is happening in our world. You know, the... Uh, Mental healing is two 
of the six sections of our textbook. Our textbook, The Science of Mind, is divided into six sections. And two of those sections are on mental healing, right? The basic textbook is divided into six lessons. And one of those lessons, over 50 pages, is dedicated to mental healing. You know, so it was a thing that Ernest studied. Right? It was a thing that he studied and that he brought forward. You know, we're reading in Roots class, we're reading Emma Curtis Hopkins, Christian, scientific Christian mental practice. Mental, there's that word again. And Troward's lectures on mental science. Right? So there is a big emphasis on mental healing in our movement. We call it lots of names, you know, we call it mental healing, we call it uh, mental science, we call it spiritual mind healing, but it's, it's really the same thing. It's really that idea of our mind, by our mind, by changing our thoughts, we can change our conditions in our life. And that's really what Ernest is talking about. Healing is not a process, but a revelation. For the revealing of the perfect man always heals. The process, if there is one, is the time and thought that it takes to arrive at the correct understanding of man's perfect state in spirit. And that's our current Science of Mind textbook. Ernest says there is no process of healing, but a process in healing. You hear that a lot. There's no process of healing, but there's a process in healing. It's a story of a young woman. She was 17 years old, I believe, and uh, had quite a wonderful high school experience. She was the homecoming princess. She was on the drill team. She had a lead in the school play, vice president of her class. She was doing well. You know, and in her junior year, her boyfriend uh, went away to college, and he came back on spring break. And when he came back, she got pregnant. She told her mother, who wept for her as if she died, as if she died, she said. And uh, they had a quick marriage with 10 people there, and then she went back to school. And uh, she told a trusted teacher that she was pregnant and married. Well, that very afternoon, she got called into the principal's office. And the principal uh, said, is it true? Is it true that you're married and pregnant? And she said, yes, it is. And he said, well, we cannot have you mixing with the normal girls. You're going to need to leave school, and this is in 1966. You're going to need to, need to go to school, and, but we do have a school for you. We have a school that meets after dark. It meets across the river, across town. This was in Portland, Oregon, and she said it was a place that she wasn't allowed to drive normally after dark. But that was the high school that she was sent to to finish her high school career. And she was told that the pregnant girls and the delinquent boys went to that school. You know, as she walked up the steps that very first day of class or night of class, she thought, this, these are my new classmates, the pregnant girls and the delinquent boys, you know. And she was filled with shame and guilt. She felt she had shamed her family. She shamed her school. Um, and that, uh, that year before she graduated, she did graduate. She had her baby. She had her baby, and uh, a few months after graduation, she got very ill. She got very ill and she ended up in the hospital. And what they found out was that she had a kidney disease and that one of her complete kidneys was completely shut down and the other one was operating at 50%. Now her young son was about seven months old by this time and her mother was taking care of her son. And what the doctors told her, they said that we can operate and we can remove the bad kidney and your other kidneys operating about 50% and if all goes well, we give you about six months. This was before dialysis, this was before there was much that they could do for somebody that had a 
I try to say the word neurose, ferose to something. I can't say it. We will, kidney disease. We'll call it that. And um, so the night before her surgery, something happened that changed her life. A chaplain came into her room and asked if she wanted prayer. And she was scared. She thought she wouldn't see her baby grow. She thought she wouldn't know, you know, she wouldn't live. So she said yes, and she didn't really have a belief in God at that time. In fact, the belief that she did have was in a God that was the judgment and punishment, some of those, that God that some of us were raised with, you know, one that you, she was really afraid of because she had messed up, right? In her mind, she had sinned. And uh, this chaplain sat down next to her, and she said, tell me what's been going on with you the last couple of years. And so she's told the story of what happened and how she had gotten pregnant and how she had shamed her family and on and on and on and on. And the chaplain said to her, she said, do you believe that you can be healed? And she said, absolutely not. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. And she said, do you believe that I believe? And after talking with the chaplain for a while, she came to believe that the chaplain believed. You know, and the chaplain said to her something, that everything is created twice. Everything in the world is created twice, once in mind and second in form. This bed that you're laying in, the sheet that's covering your nightgown, it was all created twice. First it was the idea in the mind of somebody, and then it was created, right? And she said, now I'm going to pray for you. Now, do you believe that uh, they can come in tomorrow and say that, wait, you're great, you don't need the surgery. And she said, no, I don't believe that. And she said, well, do you believe that there's anything that, I, that can happen that perhaps it would slow it down? And there was a little corner of her mind that opened to that. And she said, so let us imagine, let us visualize everything bad, everything horrible, everything that's going in your body that is not perfect. Let's put it into that bad kidney that they're going to remove. And when they take it out tomorrow, we'll know that it's gone from your body. So she agreed to that. She agreed to that, and they did the prayer. And for the first time, she says she slept the entire night. When she woke up in the morning, she had a peace about her. They did the surgery, and when they told her family, they said, yeah, the one kidney was bad. We took it out. But the other one, you know, it wasn't as bad as we thought it was. You know, well, only time will tell. Well, time did tell. After a few days, she was getting better and better. And after a few days, they sent her home. And each time she went in for her test, they were getting better and better, and the numbers were getting better and better. And, and the woman had said to her, what is it that you want? And she said, what I want more than anything is I want to see my son graduate from high school. I want to become a teacher. I want to be there the first day of school with him. And one of the directions that the chaplain gave to her was to visualize those things, to imagine herself holding the hand of this five-year-old boy, imagine her heels clicking on the corridor as she walked him to his very first day of class, imagine herself sitting in the stadium watching them call his name as he graduated. So she started to do these things. She started to visualize. She started to feel better. She started to believe perhaps she might live through these six months, you know? And she became so engrossed with our teaching. She became so engrossed with these principles that she says she became like a sponge. And she studied absolutely everything that she could study. You know, she's still alive today. She's in her 70s. She was completely healed of that kidney disease. And she's gone on to be one of our great New Thought teachers. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard the story. She tells it in her prosperity classes. But this is the story of Mary Morrissey's life. 
you know? She was healed. She was healed by these very principles that set her on a path to uncover, discover, and discard everything that didn't work in her life and to prove that mental healing is a true thing, is a real thing. She experienced it, right? And if it works for one person, it works for all of us. There's not a special designation that some people have to be allowed to have these tools to work in their life. Works for all of us. You know, the idea that there is no bondage, that we are bound by nothing but our belief about it, and sometimes that's hard to grasp because it feels like we are. It feels like we just have bad luck or something just wrong is happening to us. It's just the people in our life. It's all these things outside of us that are keeping us stuck, but that is not the truth of our being. We are bigger than that. Right, as uh, Charles Barker used to tell uh, Ken Gordon, you need to get a bigger idea. You need to get a bigger idea because it's those little ideas that keep us stuck in littleness, that keep us stuck there. You know, in the 12-step recovery, one of the prayers that we say is that to relieve me of the bondage of self. We ask to be relieved of the bondage of self because it's that bondage that keeps us stuck. That bondage of the little self, the little eye, as Goldsmith calls it. Joel Goldsmith talks about the big eye and the little eye. And it's this little eye that we're talking about, this little human self that thinks I'm this little human thing. We are really this big. We are really huge. The power that we have within us is beyond comprehension if we but tap into it, if we believe it, if we believe it. By changing our thinking, we absolutely change our lives. You know, there's so many studies now, back in the time of uh, the 60s when Mary was going through this, there was no uh, proof of these mental principles, but now we have so much. Now we're moving into the whole realm of quantum physics and how quantum physics is proving what Ernest Holmes was teaching all along. But there's so many studies where it's been proven that by our very thinking, we can change the conditions in our life. There was a, a professor out of the University of Chicago who he did an experiment with basketball players. And he divided them into three groups. In the first group, he had them practice free throws an hour a day. The second group, he had them visualize shooting free throws. He didn't have them touch the ball at all. They were just to sit for an hour and imagine themselves shooting free throws. And the third group, he had to do nothing. And at the end of the, uh, the research period, what happened is that, of course, the third group that did nothing had not improved at all. The first group had improved quite a bit their percentage of free throws. But the surprising thing was that the second group had improved as much as the first group was equal to those that were actually out there shooting the baskets. You know, and what this says and what this uh, determines is that our, by us visualizing and seeing the thing, the same brain chemistry is taking place as when we are actually doing it. It's when we're actually doing it. So, you know, visualizing can be a powerful, powerful study. There was another one of a group of monks who uh, visualized peace in Washington, D.C. For this period in time, the crime was really skyrocketing in D.C., so these monks for two months sat and meditated on peace. And at the end of the two-month period, the crime had decreased by almost 25%. I think it was 23.3% or something like that. By them just meditating on peace. So these are powerful tools that we have that we can use. 
that we're taught, that are in our classes, that are in our readings, that are in our literature. So if there's an area in your life that's not going the way that you would like it, you have everything within you to create it anew. Starting right now in this moment. Right now. So if there's anything that you're wanting to change, you have the power to do it. You know, we can't change other people, we can't change situations, we can't change anything, but we can change our beliefs about the thing. And that's where the power is. We can change our idea about it. If we're suffering a physical or emotional upset, we can know ourselves to be a perfect expression of God. We can know ourselves. We're doing a fun experiment. I think it's fun. In class, in Ruth's class, we got to pick an affirmation that we're going to be working on for the next several weeks to see. We've planted the seed. And I've really been enjoying doing mine. I've been enjoying saying my affirmation each day and feeling it on and, and knowing it's the truth of my being, even though it feels like a stretch for me because I don't see it in the world of effects yet. But I know I've planted the seed. And I continue to do the work, and I continue to do the affirmation, and I continue to read where things move from the invisible to the visible. Troward says, now the only conception you can have of yourself in the absolute or unconditioned is, a purely live, is as a purely living spirit, is as a purely living spirit, not hampered by conditions of any sort, and therefore not subject to illness, and when this idea is firmly impressed on the subconscious mind, it will externalize. When this idea is firmly impressed on the subconscious mind, it will externalize. So it's from the inside out. Everything in our life has come from the inside out. It's not the outside coming to us. It's coming from our insides into manifestation, everything around us. I'll end with this quote from Ernest. Healing is not creating a perfect body or a perfect idea. It is revealing an idea which is already perfect. It's revealing an idea which is already perfect. Healing is not a process. It's a revelation. God bless you. So glad that you're here today. Thank you for being here. Thank you, thank you. Kiki.